right, welcome back, everyone. It has been a bit of time. We have had a, a good little summer break, summer vacation. Some things have changed. For one, our our uh, main man Matthew Fairburn is now a married man. Congratulations again, my friend. First podcast as a married man. How's that feel? We'll see how it how it changes uh, my my approach and my outlook. We'll see. I, you know, you've been here for a little bit, and I haven't noticed the ring on the finger. How's that feel these days? It's it takes some getting used to. It's uh, how often I'm do you play with it? I'm always playing with it. Yeah, always. Right, right. Like so, eventually, I assume that will stop, but uh, haven't been able to stop uh, just yet. It's only been a few weeks though. So. Any any near losses yet? No, it's it's very snug. Uh, there. It's a perfect fit. So, um, which probably doesn't bode well for when I eventually gain weight, and then it'll never be <laughs> able to get off my finger. But uh, so funny story from from Matt Bovey's ceremony. He the first time his now wife slid the ring on his finger, it looked like she like jammed it on there. I'm like, oh god, they might have to cut the finger off. Yeah, it's funny because you don't think about it, but. When it's hotter outside, or you've eaten a lot of salty food, mm-hmm. the whole time on the honeymoon, it was like, I could almost not get it off. Really? Because your fingers kind of swell up and, you know, very sensitive to every little change. So apparently, in the winter, it will be, it'll slide on and off a lot okay. easier, which is something I hadn't even realized until uh, you learn these things, I suppose. And also slightly terrifying. Yeah, mildly. Obviously. Like, you know, <laughs> a couple days into the honeymoon... A lot of margaritas and sunshine, and all of a sudden, things stuck on there. But what can you do? It's not coming off anyway, so you know, might as well have it on there. Yeah, live and you learn. Uh, so yes, Matthew Fairburn is a married man, and uh, something else has has changed these days. Um, Matthew Fairburn, Fairburn, and I are teammates here on the podcast. And uh, we're work married. We're work married now. Yes, we are workmates. Um, I uh, will be joining the athletic as of next week, where uh, Mr. Fairburn and I will be tag a tag team duo covering the bills. He'll be my Joe will be my work wife. Yes. I was thinking like, did you watch wrestling back in the day? I did. Okay. It's been a while, but who, who well, I mean, it's been a while for me too. But who was like your your go-to tag team if you had if you had to think one? Well, I like Degeneration X, but they were oh, more of a group. Right. With like X-Pac. That well, was like the last time I watched. Also the um well, they who have, was the real heavy set fella? Rikishi? Oh, Rikishi. Is that is that a guy? Rikishi. Rikishi. Who is he with? He's he linked up with uh, Scotty Tuhati and that's um, right. Oh, what was his name? Uh, I think it was um, Jerry Lawler's kid. I don't know what his name what his name was. I can't think of it. I know everyone out there is. Like, I know we have a lot of wrestling fans. Yeah. Uh, oh, for sure. There's a big crossover there uh, between. They used to do I the think. the worm in the ring, and Rikishi would put on the sunglasses. Are you saying Tim Graham is Rikishi? Maybe. Well, yeah, I guess now we have we do have three, so we can't be... It's not a tag team. D-Generation X had... Uh, Triple H, Shawn Michaels. Well, Sha- before Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels went away. Shawn Michaels was my favorite of all the wrestlers. And then X-Pac uh, joined in. But then they had Road the tag Dog, team. Jesse James? Uh, Road he? Dog Jesse James and, um, and Mr. Ass, Billy That's Gunn. Right. Mr. Ass. I forgot that he joined forces with them. He was a, a solo rider for a while, I think. The New Age Outlaws. 
That's what that was their tag team name, the New I'll Age be Outlaws. Mr. Ass. You'll be Mr. Ass. I will be the Road Dog to your Mr. Ass. <laughs> hey, Mr. Ass was great. He was entertaining. Road Dog led the microphone. He he was the he was the one that had the he was the, the hype man. He was the hype man. He was the hype man. But but yeah, it it's um it's pretty cool to be teammates with with Mr. Fairburn. You all, I'm sure you all have uh, come to know that I, I have a very high opinion of uh, of the gentleman sitting next to me, and he's a star in the business. And get, getting able to work with him is pretty freaking awesome. So I'm I'm pumped to work with him, Tim Graham, John Vogel, all the rest. And yeah, this is this is a I, I feel like I feel like it's a long time coming. Yeah, it feels like it. It's, yeah. You know, there were there were some leaks <laughs> that got the people nervous and speculating and right. and everything else. Right. But right. It feels like we've worked together oh, for, for sure. a while, but now to be in lockstep in it, everything we do is uh, is is nice. Did you just Russ Brandon us? I did. Right there, I did. It's good to be back. Buffalo Wins is not <laughs> happy with you. Sorry, Joe. He went from. Very high with the wrestling talk to very low. We had to knock him. Of- we had to knock him back in, into place. It, it'll be a very robust operation yeah. over at over at the athletic. But yeah, we're we're freaking pumped to get uh, training camp going. And uh, I know a lot of you. And th- this is this just goes to show. And I remember um, Matthew saying when he first jumped on with the athletic last year, uh, a bunch of the comments to him were, you know, what's going on with the pod? What what's going to happen with the pod? And and the same went on Monday when uh, when you know I shared that I would be joining the athletic, and it's so humbling from you all because that means you actually like us and you put up with our crap. Um, but that uh, we wanted to let you know that if you're worried about the Bills beat at all, don't be. Do not be. Nothing is changing. Uh, we'll have. Something a little extra down the pipeline that uh, we'll be able to share in in some time when uh, when we get some more details. But uh, but yeah, the the bills beat as you know it. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. So keep, continue to subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe, as uh, our friend Matthew Fairburn says. Yeah, we'll be nothing will change with how you get it. Mm-hmm. Nothing will change really with the schedule. There'll just be more of it if you want to. Um indulge us and and subscribe to the athletic we're not you know totally sure what our um you know what it will look like yet and when it will start but Mm -hmm. we'll have more of those details but if you like your your game recap your game preview podcast those are still going to be sitting for you in itunes and and come on darlene and and not are we on spotify i can't remember yeah we're on spotify has passed so you can find it on spotify Google Play, yep. Stitcher, yep. wherever you, you, you find it. your podcast, that'll all be the same old, same old. But now we'll we'll just have a little bit extra. Yeah. So now that we've got through all the, all the sappy stuff, we've got training camp to to discuss because it's it's been a while. Um, the last time we talked was with Rodak going down memory lane. That was that was our last pod. That seems like forever ago now. Um, it was right before your wedding. Uh, but now we are right on the doorstep of training camp beginning. So I guess it's kind of an, an open-ended discussion. I mean, it just because when you go into camp, you always have ideas of what it's all going to look like, but you don't really know until it gets until you start getting into the nitty-gritty of like when the pads go on on day 3 and stuff like that. So I guess where we'll start is what 
what is perhaps the thing that you're looking forward to finally seeing at, at the grand unveiling the, the most of, of all the different little side topics that, that we've, that we'll be covering? Probably the offensive line. Uh, and I, I know a lot of people are probably excited about Josh Allen for good reason. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to watch him throughout the season, but I don't know that we're going to learn a ton about him during training camp specifically. Uh, I'm, I'll be hesitant to jump to any sort of conclusions as he's still getting used to a lot of new pieces. Mm-hmm. The defense will likely be far ahead of the offense considering they're in year three in their system. They have mostly all the same guys returning and they're all going to be on the same page. Whereas the offense had a ton of injuries in the spring, not to mention half the unit is almost completely new receivers, offensive line timing's just going to be a little bit off. It's going to take some time for them to get on the same page. So I'm not going to be, of course we'll be analyzing Josh Allen's every move, but I'm I'm going to be, I'm not going to sit there and if he has a great practice, think this is it, he's made it or vice versa. If he, gets off to a slow start, think that, you know, year two is going to be a huge disappointment. I just don't, over the years, I feel like I, I haven't learned a ton about the quarterbacks. You don't learn as much as you think you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still worth keeping tabs on and monitoring the highs and lows, who he's targeting, where he's most comfortable. But I think the offensive line is such an important part about this team and whether they'll be able to turn it around. And you really don't know what it's going to look like until the pads come on, until you start seeing these guys you know, work up close and personal in the closest thing to, to live action, whether it's against their own teammates or when they go down to Carolina. Mm-hmm. And if this offense is going to turn it around, Josh Allen needs better protection and he needs a better running game uh, and not just from himself. He needs the running backs to get involved. And I think the offensive line is going to be, be a big part of that, especially with so much competition and so many new pieces. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I'm going to be glued to the offensive line this year. Um, I mean, it's kind of my shtick in camp that whenever they go to one-on-ones, I'm always right there. But this year, it's I feel like it's as important as ever to see how these guys are playing, where they're lining up, who they're lining up next to, and tracking it as, as kind of training camp goes along. Because when you have so many moving pieces, I mean... The only thing that is a guaranteed lock on that offensive line right now is that Mitch Morse is going to be the center. Everything else is up in the air. I mean, some are stronger bets than others, like uh, one of Deion Dawkins or Cody Ford will be playing a tackle. That's a strong bet. Um, Spencer Long is probably going to be starting somewhere on the offensive line. That's That's a solid bet, but not a guarantee by any means. But when you have both tackles having the potential to be moved inside at some point during the summer. And then another reserve tackle who could beat one of those two tackles for their starting job on top of four different players going for starting jobs on the inside as it is already. I mean, that's what seven guys going for four spots on the line and not all of them being dedicated to one spot. It's there's just going to be so many, so much mixing and matching and, um, I, I'm absolutely ecstatic to, to kind of track it as it goes along because I, I feel like there's going to be changes every single day. And there's also, for most of these guys, you know, you see occasional, you know, bits of them playing for other teams, but 
you don't really know a tremendous amount about them uh, in terms of how they play, what their strengths are, whether they're any good. You know, I mean, uh, guys like John Feliciano, Quentin Spain, Spencer Long, Ty Seke, like we haven't really watched a ton of these, you, mm-hmm. you know, these guys. So you get to see how they all fit in and, and what the best combo might be. And it's kind of a time crunch to figure it out, too. I, I think that's sort of the the unanswered and tough to answer question for this coaching staff is, you know, where's the balance between shuffling it around, like you mentioned, mixing it up, changing up the combos and the urgency to find the right five and help them get on the same page Mm -hmm. by the time the season starts, because you could argue that's as important. Uh, You know, you want to have the right guys, but you also want, you know, those five guys to have a chance to, to blend together i think the benefit of all the mixing and matching will be you know inevitably when injuries happen and guys have to move around there's been a lot of cross training guys will have familiarity working with each other whether it's cody ford next to wyatt teller at right guard or he'll be used to having different guys you saw Deion dawkins take a step back when he didn't have richie incognito next to him That's you true. know and yeah. A lot of that was, you know, learning to play with Richie, his reliance on Richie. I think there's a benefit to learning to play next to different guys, learning to play different positions so that you understand the offensive line a little bit more conceptually, more so than just this is what I do at left tackle and I don't know what the hell the rest of these guys do. I think that's what made, you know, that's what makes a good center valuable. Um, You know, Mitch Morris has played tackle before. He's... I don't know if he's played guard before, but he's experienced in that way to understand what's going on around the offensive line. And so are some of these other guys, Spencer Long, um, Ty Seke's played both sides. So uh, Cody Ford spent some time at guard. So all of that's important to making a more reliable unit as, as opposed to what they had last year, which was not a talented group, not a deep group, mm. and not really a group that was working super well together either it was a nightmare specifically right from the middle out and i mean when you have the tone set by the center routinely getting pushed back into the backfield whether it was ryan groy or russell bodine it didn't matter both guys were were pretty bad last season and that that uh that does a lot to the psyche of the offensive line and if they're having to worry about getting blown off the ball every snap then that's less I guess, um, energy they're spending on making sure everyone else is lined up where they're supposed to be because they're not first controlling themselves. And and there's a major trickle-down effect there. But I guess where I want to go with this discussion now is there, there are a lot of pieces, but does it necessarily mean they're going to be better? And I know we've asked this before, but I keep thinking about it like, okay, Mitch Morse is different and he's going to be better, but what about the rest? Like, is there any guarantee that either whoever it is, Spencer Long or or um, Quentin Spain or Wyatt Teller, are they going to be markedly better than John Miller was last year? Is Deion Dawkins going to be better than he was last season? Is Cody Ford or Ty Insecki going to be better than Jordan Mills last year? People will obviously go, well, yeah, Cody Ford was a second-round pick. Or, yeah, uh, Ty Insecki, they, they spent a lot of money on him in the offseason. But we don't know because they they haven't had a full complement of snaps. I mean, you can 
you can look at their traits and everything along those lines and say, okay, they'll, they'll probably be there. But we don't know because, I mean, we had a solid book on Jordan Mills and he was not good. And I believe he's already lost his job at Miami. Um, he was a shoo-in to be their starting right tackle and already lost his job. Um, or at least that's the last thing I saw from them in the, in the spring. He, he could re- regain it. Who knows? But when you have that, who was your starting right tackle, is kind of a baseline. You would hope it's at least a tad better. But That's help, probably the safest better. bet is sure. that right tackle will be an upgrade. But Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, right tackle and center should be upgraded. But that's that speaks to, you know, what I was saying about actually just watching these guys and finding out if they're any good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, guys like John Feliciano and Quentin Spain and Spencer Long have had mixed results, you know, and and they've had flashes of being quality starters, but it's not like they went out and signed a line full of pro bowlers. Mitch Morse should be quite the upgrade, provided he stays healthy. That's been a question for him during his Mm -hmm. career. Deion Dawkins is another one who you would hope is better than he was last year, but, you know, you don't have evidence yet that that's going to happen. And I think part of the equation that I find interesting is what Bobby Johnson will bring to the table. Yeah, definitely. Because I do think that was an upgrade as well. And, you know, watching the the Bills Embedded series, he said something that I thought was, was pretty astute when he was addressing the offensive line in one of the clips they showed. And he said, you know, being aware is pretty important uh, in a competition. And you know, knowing where you stand. And, you know, he basically said, if you think the competition starts in July, you're already falling behind. Mm -hmm. You have to be aware of where you stand, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And I think the first guy I thought of was Deion Dawkins. And, you know, I don't think up until this point, and maybe he's gotten it now, and it took, you know, LaShawn McCoy publicly calling him out, the coaches not being shy about, you know, saying, you know, they would move his position or open up his job to competition. Mm-hmm. It's up until those things happened, he was blissfully unaware of the urgency uh, to improve and to, you know, hold people off for that job. I mean, he's a second round pick. Nothing's really guaranteed, uh, especially entering year three. At that point, you, you kind of have to fight for everything you get, even if you're a first-round pick. So I think that was, you know, the the coaching from Bobby Johnson will be, I think, a lot different than it was under Juan Castillo. And that's something that you get a much better picture of during training camp than probably almost anything else, is how, you know, getting to watch full practices really up close and personal, if you want to, you get a good sense of, how these guys coach and how players respond to them. And I think Bobby Johnson will be a, an interesting guy to track in that regard. And I'm interested to see how, how some of these guys respond. I think what they've at least set themselves up with, you know, there's certainly no guarantee that the line will be drastically better. Yeah. But with all the competition they've brought in, they've set themselves up to where if Spencer Long sucks, maybe John Feliciano will be better. If, Quentin Spain sucks. Maybe Wyatt Teller makes a jump. There's a lot of possibilities for improvement. And, you know, if Deion Dawkins shows up and is a huge letdown, 
Ty and Seke could move over there and be an upgrade. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of, you know, fallback options. And that, again, doesn't guarantee anything, but at least it's a lot better situation than it was a year ago when it was like, well, if Vlad Dukas sucks, and <laughs> he does, the best option is turning to Wyatt Teller, who was not ready no. um, until about midseason. So they had to just ride it out uh, with Vlad Dukas. And so they at least have... A lot more depth, a lot more competition. Last year, Deion Dawkins didn't even have to think about competition. Oh God, no. you know, and so and neither did really Jordan Mills. Who was which the is, who was the primary backup last year? Connor McDermott, right? And he's probably not going to be on the roster. No. And they didn't even seem eager to give him many reps uh, last year. So that's where now these guys have to have a little bit of a fire lit underneath them. And I think that's more valuable at offensive line than almost anywhere else because it's there are obviously a lot of physical traits that you just have to have to be a good offensive lineman. But I think there's also a lot of focus and effort go a long way at that position, um, you know, more so than any others. Obviously, if, you, if you're not strong enough and you're not – you know, athletically gifted enough, like you mentioned with Russell Bodine, just getting blown off the ball. Um, but there's also a lot that can happen because of competition. Maybe Deion Dawkins takes better care of his body and comes back in much better shape. And then, you know, those those baseline traits that you need at offensive line can change. You can, you can impact those uh, with your work habits. So hopefully that, you know, rises the level of, of the entire offensive line, which I know is is their plan is to do it through competition and changing the mentality that the group has Mm -hmm. compared to what it had a year ago. And then you get to see um, who was taking it seriously in the month away as well, because it's very easy to get out of shape pretty quickly um, when, when you're away for that bit of time. And while it's good to, you know, kind of recharge your batteries, so to speak, you also have to stay on top of it at least a little bit. Um, But I'm glad you brought up Bobby Johnson and it, it led me to, a point that I haven't yet thought about. Um, Bobby Johnson obviously replaced Juan Castillo. And um, Juan Castillo was a very laid back. You never really heard him during practice. He was just very um, very soft talking sort of guy. That's, that's just how he was. And then it got me to think, all right, well, that's now the second change like that from a guy like Juan Castillo to a new coach on the coaching staff went in Rick Dennison to Brian Dable and it almost feels like that Sean McDermott is trying to find more of these motivator type of type of coaches and I think about like Bobby Babich uh, uh, who's at the with the defensive backs Chad Hall is very much this way in, in his first year with the wide receivers group and less of a methodical standing back and and you know taking it in and then going up and having a calm conversation and more of if if you do something wrong I'm going to let you hear about it or at least if you do something wrong repeatedly I'm going to let you hear about it there's more of the an aptitude for doing that and not to say that one way is is uh, right or wrong I just find it very interesting that uh, the personality of the coaching staff is kind of being taken on to what Sean McDermott is. Yeah, and it's it speaks to what they've been able to get out of their roster in the first two years. Uh, you know, probably an overachieving 
playoff team uh, in the first year, I would say. Or yeah, they, they, they were right around. I guess. They got a lot out of that group. Yeah, uh, it's they not should not say, have been a playoff team, I don't it, think. It's not to say that it was an impossible task getting right. that team to the playoffs because worse teams have made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Almost a bigger task getting last year's team to 6-10. and 10. The way that season was going. Seriously, uh, that's a great question. Y- What's know, more impressive, nine and seven in in 2017 or six and ten last because year? Because if you think about it, with Tyrod Taylor, Richie Incognito, Eric Wood, Lashawn McCoy still playing pretty well, there was you know some veteran talent on that team that should have been to the playoffs in the years prior. Uh, that I think Rex Ryan. Uh, botched a little bit, mm-hmm. so there was enough left over from that group. Obviously, they traded away some some key pieces, but there was enough talent there that it shouldn't have been. It was, I would say, a slightly overachieving bunch. Not to say that six and ten was a drastic over. A, you know, it's never overachieving to go six and ten necessarily, but that could have easily been a two win football team, mm-hmm. especially the way it was going early in the season. And we've seen some teams go sideways like that. So, really, in both years, they've gotten a lot out of the team, which speaks to, you know, words that aren't always, you know, sexy, and they be- they become less so when, uh, you know, you talk more and more about analytics and the way football teams are built. But there's something to focus and effort when, especially when it comes to these months um, and making that improvement um, and the type of players that you want to have and the type of coaches that you want to have. It's worked to an extent. I think it can get you from being a you know eight and eight team to maybe a nine and seven or ten and six playoff team. Can it get you from being a playoff team to a Super Bowl team? Probably not, unless you have the quarterback and you know those key pieces that you just need to have on offense uh, to get to that level. But it can certainly keep you away from the bottom of the league uh, if you can keep your team focused and all pushing towards the same goal, which I think Sean McDermott's been pretty good at. Um, it's easier to do when you're new and harder to do as as you know you, you get farther along in, in your tenure. But having guys that are on the same message, and there's probably something to the fact that Sean McDermott's been a coach for two years now. He doesn't feel like he needs the Juan Castillos or the Terry Rubiskis, these experienced guys, quote unquote, to, you know, make him feel a little bit more confident in what he's doing. He has Leslie Frazier as a, a really strong advisor, a guy that's been in the chair before, but he doesn't need super experienced coaches all over the place mm-hmm. as opposed to guys that fit what he wants and guys that have um, you know, a proven track record of of being that way consistently. So it'll be interesting to see how all that comes together too, because you know it's it's a different flavor than it was in his first training camp. Yeah, uh, and that that will be an, an uh, like watching these coaches and and how they operate within the system that Sean McDermott has has put forward. That uh, for me, it's it's been really fun getting to see Brian Dable just light people up <laughs> during these spring workouts because we didn't see that from Rick Dennison whatsoever. And it's different. Who knows if it works, but it's different. Um, let's get into some wide receiver talk, shall we? Because I went on with uh, our buddy Jerry Sullivan today over at uh, his show on, on 1270, The Fan in Buffalo, and um, he asked me, their poll question for the for the day, and it was 
quite perplexing. Which of these receivers will have the most receiving yards in 2019? John Brown, Robert Foster, Zay Jones, or Cole Beasley? Go. Yeah, it's a tough question. Right. Um, Because you don't know who's going to be on the field the most. Right. Let alone who's going to be getting the ball the most. I would... So I, I mentioned at the end of the spring that I thought John Brown was clearly the top, like the number one wide receiver, if you had to define somebody as the number one wide receiver. It seemed like he had gained some separation there. One, because Zay Jones got hurt at the end of the spring and missed a few practices. And two, because Cole Beasley wasn't really on the field. So it wasn't, Foster was also hurt at the end and, as well. And Foster got nicked up. But yeah. I think it was even before that, it seemed like Josh Allen was looking his way a lot. And he just looks better. I, I think he looks like the best receiver of the guys we've seen. And we haven't seen a ton of Cole Beasley, but we've seen a lot of Zay Jones. Um, and we've seen a lot of Robert Foster, the highs mm-hmm. and the lows. John Brown looks like that that top guy. He's also got a history of injuries, though. Yeah. And he, it's tough to say for sure he'll be the guy with the most receiving yards. But I still think that would be my. that's where I'd put my money. Yeah, um, because same. the damage Cole Beasley does isn't always in the yardage department, and it's almost always in the yardage department with John Brown because mm-hmm. of uh, the way that he plays and, and the way that he stretches the field. I would say the guy who worries me most if I were betting on John Brown is Zay Jones. I think there's still a shot that there's untapped potential there. He's got the best chemistry with Josh Allen. He's played with him the longest mm-hmm. um, and has the most reps with him. And there's still a possibility. This is his fr- I know he got hurt at the end of the spring, but it's the first time he's been, he's had like an off season, you know, where he's been healthy and, you know, he had the off field trouble entering year two. So that's where I think maybe they see something there because he didn't. they didn't really invest in the position in the draft. Uh, they added a couple guys in free agency that don't really do what Zay Jones does. Mm-hmm. So he's the guy, I think, that, that maybe is the dark horse of that group. I, I don't feel confident that Robert Foster will lead the team in receiving yards. I think he'll make some big plays. I don't think he'll have the role required unless right. John Brown gets hurt. I'm with you on John Brown. That's how I answered the question when he asked me because not only does John Brown – get the big yardage on those deep throws, which is very much a part of Brian Dable's offense as long as Josh Allen is the quarterback. He is so underrated on his intermediate routes. He works it. And I don't think he gets enough enough respect in that capacity because, I mean, it's the flashy downfield. That's what he was as soon as he came out of, uh, I believe it was Pittsburgh State, what, yeah, where he came Kansas. from. Yeah. But, when, but since then, he's developed into a pretty solid all-around receiver, and I, I think we'll most notably see him on those intermediate, with that intermediate stuff, when he's uh, digging his foot into a, into his into the ground right at the top of his break and and jutting outside because Josh Allen loves throwing that ball to the to the boundary there. He loves the out routes. He loves the little comebacks, and those are two routes that he's really good at. And I think he could flourish with that. And not to mention, I mean, Cole Beasley will get a bunch of looks, but like you said, the yards per catch, they're not going to be there. I mean, he'll be the the move the chains, third down guy. That's been his whole career, but his yards per catch has been incredibly low. I think John Brown will have the opportunity. I think he'll have the the snap share to do it. Um, as long as he stays healthy, which you brought up, has been a problem for him. As, as long as he stays healthy, I, I think he's probably my pick to do it. 
But this leads into a Robert Foster discussion because you kind of hit on it a little bit at the end there. But Robert Foster, people are going, well, screw Zay Jones. Why don't they just start Robert Foster and John Brown? Well, it's not that easy. I mean, the positions are blended a little bit more than in some other offenses. But John Brown and Robert Foster are pretty similar players, if, if we're being honest. Robert Foster is just a little taller. I mean, they, they both usually line up on the same spot, which leads me to believe that Robert Foster's snap counts aren't going to be nearly as high as some people in the fantasy football community would want based on how he ended last season and some fans would want because while Zay Jones didn't put up those flashy numbers last year, he also does all of the little things that they really, really like. He works his butt off every single play. I mean, he's a really good blocker. Um, he, he can, he can, um, get physical at the line of scrimmage and he can work the middle of the field. Uh, not to say that they can't, but it, but for Robert Foster, he's a little bit better of the, you know, release with the speed and then work off his speed route. And that's, that's not Zay Jones game and he doesn't have Zay Jones game either. So I, I think, I think Foster, I would not be shocked to see him move more back into the role that he was before he cracked the starting lineup to where he was getting like 50 to 60% of snaps. He'll still have a role. Don't get me wrong. I think it's the best thing for him. To I be agree. Honest. Totally. I, I don't, it's not to say he can't handle the bigger role. I just think it's the best thing for him and it's the best thing for the offense to sprinkle him in. And he's probably not going to catch as many people by surprise, but he is really, really fast. And if you can, not sneak him on the field, but I think you can catch teams off guard with him still. You know, throw him as your fourth receiver uh, in the slot when in a four wide receiver set, and he could do some damage. He's got to, you know, become a student of the game and learn a few different spots to maintain his value to the team. And like we said with John Brown, odds are he'll miss a couple games, uh, and you'll want to have a guy like Robert Foster to throw into that spot uh, and not lose. A ton. Whereas, you know, last year when there were some injuries, the last couple of years, the drop-off was steep. And mm-hmm. you had some guys that didn't really belong on the field. Now having four solid guys like that, not to mention Andre Roberts, who can, you know, make some plays when called upon. And he can play both inside and outside for them. Right. It's a, it's a much deeper group. Again, is it guaranteed to be light years better? You know, they didn't go out and trade for an A.J. Green. They didn't add that type of receiver but what they did similar to the offensive line is add guys who are better than what they had last year and all that does is mean Zay Jones isn't your number one Robert Foster isn't your number two and you don't have to worry about those guys being in bigger roles than is required not to mention if they get hurt having to drop down to whoever else so to me the top five seems pretty comfortably established yeah as long as none of those guys, you know, take, you know, have horrible training camps or anything like that, it's a matter of do they keep six and and who do they keep? But I think, you know, they got to carve out the roles for the top five. But to me, it looks pretty clear cut as long as everyone's healthy. The question you just brought up, excuse me, the question you just brought up, um, in addition to, I'm glad you, you said before that you watched the Embedded series, and I'm glad you did because I had a few, like, eyebrow raises while watching it. Um, and again, this is stuff that the team has to clear to be out there and, and everything along those lines. 
And two of the biggest takeaways that I, I had, and I only watched the first three episodes. I still have to watch the fourth. My first one, the most glaring one, I started to rethink whether or not David Sills is going to make the team. Because yeah. I, I, th- I think there is a, like, as long as he doesn't throw up all over himself, they, they love him based on what they put out there. And maybe that's just them wanting to show the triumph of getting their number one target on for the undrafted free yeah, agents. Yeah, I think so you have part to be, of that is a, right. um, a, you know, there's the constant sensitivity from the team and the fans of nobody wants to come to Buffalo, nobody wants to play here. Yeah, that's and part that of it, for sure. otherwise, uh, in a sense. But they, but they loved him. Like, they made it a point. It was a full-court press. You had Brandon Bean, Joe Shane, Sean McDermott, and Terry Pagula Terry all on Pagula. the phone with them, not to mention Josh Allen and Matt Barkley. And Pagula was the closer. And so that's, <laughs> you know, more than for your typical undrafted free agent. They right. could have showed any one of the undrafted free agents to show a peek inside that process, but they chose to focus on David Sills. Mm-hmm. He is, you know, at, at one point was considered like a mid-round pick. Uh, he probably, you know, wasn't supposed to go undrafted. They uh, didn't draft a, a wide receiver. They so did, yeah, they did he's not basically that youth in that position. I know a lot of people are really excited about Duke Williams, but to me, the team seems more invested in David Sills. I agree. And he's more their type of guy uh, in a lot of ways, uh, given the off-field history that Duke Williams has. Duke Williams will be interesting to follow throughout training camp because he does bring a different flavor in terms of physicality that they don't have. But what David Sills brings that you could also argue they don't have a ton of is height and red zone ability that's Mm -hmm. where he thrived at West Virginia I think Duke Williams has some of that too given his physical nature but they're two different different types and David Sills ability to high point the football and you know find space in in the red zone his quarterback history helps him uh, understand the game be on the same page with guys so yeah I thought the same thing was okay if they're keeping six Sills is going to be very much in the mix Ray Ray McLeod will probably be in that that conversation. Duke Williams might be there. Maybe Cam Phillips. I would say, well, Victor Bolden will be in Victor the conversation Bolden, too. He's another guy that has a little bit something different to him. But Sills, to me, all of a sudden looks like you don't want to read too much into that stuff. Right. But it's hard not to when right. it's all, you know, it's it's team content. They're putting out what they want to put out. That and was a four-minute segment on a 23-minute show. Exactly. And, and that either, you know... You're if it was that, really trying it might to, not been that long. To put the, no, it was up there. Yeah, was, I know, you know. I know it was. It and, felt like forever. And it was a way to show undrafted free agency in a in a certain way, but it was also not something they would put out there by accident. And, right. You know, they're kind of planting the seed of of David Sills being a guy to watch. And so, like you said, he still has to go out there and earn it. He can't go out there and have a horrible camp. But he didn't do much in the spring. But we'll see uh, but, what happens. But they were trying to sell him on guaranteed money. Um, role, uh, the fact that they didn't draft a wide receiver. I mean, again, not to look too far into it, but you also have to look at it on the flip side. If they're putting this out there, then that means they're putting this out there for every other team in the league. So if they, They're also if, putting it out there for Duke Williams and for Cam Phillips and Ray Ray McLeod. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're letting absolutely. guys see that. Right. But if they if they wind up cutting him, then... 
odds are teams are going to go, oh, well, the Bills are going to try and bring on their practice squad. So if we want him, let's let's snap him up right now. And, and clearly and other teams did want him. Right, so if exactly. he gets cut, then you're looking at it, you know, where another team's going to probably try to pick him up. Yeah. And, and, you know, if what does it do to the relationship if you do cut him? Does he want to go to somebody else's practice mm-hmm. squad? Because that's within his rights, too. Right. So, um, you know, we'll see. To me, it looks like he's got a pretty good shot at this thing. And I also think he's talented enough. It's not like he's, you know, a guy that that is a throwaway. Otherwise, I, I think he's a pretty good football player. He didn't show a ton in the spring, but it's, uh, you know. He was also pads hurt at the on, start, I think. Yeah, he was. And, and when pads come on and when there's um, higher volume of passing, then I think, you know, we only saw a handful of practices with him. Mm-hmm. You only see once a week and right. the mini camp and, and everything else. So we'll see how... Uh, his body of work looks in a couple of weeks. But, it, yeah, that, that was definitely something that raised my eyebrow for sure. If there were betting odds on – if the Bills keep six wide receivers, if there were betting odds on um, all the different guys, I would have David Sills as the best odds right yeah, now. Yeah, Vegas would have him as the best yeah. odds. The, yeah. the, the Sharps yeah. would, would be yeah. all over oh, yeah. David Sills, and you wouldn't get very good odds on him. But, nope. you know, if you're – I st- you know the sleepers of the group you know are probably the you know the Ray Ray McLeod Duke Williams Cam Phillips Vic- Victor Bolden bunch mm-hmm. and then the rest I mean Damari Scott already got cut um, Nick Easley is an interesting guy it's just hard to envision them keeping P-squad. a guy like that I that's think a, he'll be a, a perfect squad practice squad guy yeah. and a guy that probably not a ton of other teams will be they probably won't be overly stressed about losing him. Um, and a guy that can learn from from Cole Beasley. It's just hard to envision them keeping a guy that does what Cole Beasley does, just not as well at this point. I bet you they could get Ray Ray on the practice squad if they, they really They probably could, and, and maybe you know Cam Phillips uh, is a guy that could mm-hmm. make the practice squad as well if, mm-hmm. if they needed to. Probably not going to keep three of those guys no. down there. And that's where the Duke-Williams conversation gets a little bit interesting because it's like, they don't have anything invested in him no. compared to a lot of these other guys. Right. They don't have time invested in him. He, he just got here. They don't have hardly any money invested he in him. He was a reserve future contract. He was a reserve contract. future contract. It's not like they got into a bidding war over this guy. Right. So I don't think – I know that he led the CFL in receiving, and I know that he was a former big-time recruit, but he's got a lot to prove. And to this point, he's also old. You know, uh, he's – there's some – disagreement over his age uh, mm-hmm. it's listed differently but i think he's 27 years old um some people have him as um 26 I think, in I some think spots nfl.com had him at i'm looking i i have the spreadsheet i they had uh, may 13th 1993 i think he's a 92 birthday uh the pr staff didn't even know when i asked because it was listed differently in different spots he just had a birthday which is really? why which is why i was asking about it this is weird uh, so th- it was unclear but i want to say they had him i want to say the pr staff had him as a 92 interesting what when it was the recruiting that made me wonder because he graduated high school the same year i did i think and that's where and i'm 27 so that's where i thought he's got to be 27 unless or maybe he was a 2011 i'm not sure but his age is of it's up for debate which is odd that's um when we talked to him hey what what's your birthday what's your date of birth yeah, I'd be interested to know, and I'd be interested he to know. He says 1987. If, you know, he didn't, and not to be, you know, rude about it, but he did have a, a really tough upbringing. So, like, 
it's possible that he would, like, I would assume he would know, mm-hmm. but uh, I know he had a, a really harsh upbringing and, you know, sometimes that he's not from a different country or anything. I know that can get lost in translation too. Mm-hmm. I, was he a 2011 recruiting class? Uh, because then he went to junior college and all sorts of different stuff. Uh, all I know is the PR staff didn't even know. Right. Um, which was, which, was which makes it, which makes it difficult. Um, probably just have to ask him. Yeah. That, that'll be, that'll be the best way, but either way, he's going to be something to track. Um, the last thing from the bills embedded series that, that I uh, found interesting. It was kind of just a, a slip-in comment. It was when they were, I think, featuring Lorenzo Alexander talking to his defensive teammates. And I forget how he referred to him. He, he either said 40 or um, Singletary. But he was talking to his teammates. He's like, you got to be careful with 40 or you got to be careful with Singletary. He's got some LaShawn to him. Watch out for Singletary this year. I'm just saying, uh, and not not to say that he's going to like take over the starting backfield right from the get go, but they love him in Buffalo. It's the reason why T.J. Yeldon is probably on the outside looking in right now, and he wouldn't have been had they not taken Devin Singletary. It's the reason why you know Lashawn McCoy is probably looking at a split backfield this year, and it's also the reason why Devin Singletary. I like it. If you had to tell me, if we, if Joe from the future comes back and says Devin Singletary winds up being winds up being the leading rusher on the Buffalo Bills in 2019, I would not be surprised. No, I wouldn't either. And another, you know, something that you don't want to read too too far into. But when I did that story where I watched film with Brandon Bean after the draft, I initially pitched it as you know breaking down all the draft picks, and he was hesitant to do it just because of the optics of, you know, what other GMs might think if he's out there bragging on his picks. But other GMs have done it. I know Chris Ballard does it uh, in Indy every year, and uh, other GMs have done it. But he was like, you know, we'll watch some so you can see sort of the process. And the guy, we watched film of one guy, and it was Devin Singletary. Uh, And, you know, that was the guy that he had more fun watching on film than almost, than probably any other pick, honestly. and I think that was the reason he wanted to make that the uh, the guy that we watched mm-hmm. film of because he was fun to watch. And the film told the story more so than the numbers or, well, he had some great numbers in college uh, statistically, but the numbers that suggest he doesn't have the high-end athletic traits um, of other guys, but the film suggests he's just really damn hard to tackle. And more so at running back than other positions, I don't subscribe to the theory that he has to sit and learn. Like, oh, what a great situation to sit and learn behind LaShawn right. McCoy and Frank Gore. Right. I think that's a waste of a year of his rookie contract. Uh, you know, this guy has a ton of miles on him. He ran the ball a ton in college. And so he's not going to last more. He's also not big. So he's not going to last forever in mm-hmm. the NFL. He may not even get a lucrative second contract from the Bills. So you get four years of this guy being a productive rusher, and rookies have been productive rushers before. So the idea that, oh, keep LaShawn McCoy and Frank Gore on ice during training camp and just you know run Devin Singletary into the ground and see what you got there, like I'd, I'd be inclined to keep him on ice a little bit too because you know that's a guy that has the freshest legs of anybody in the backfield, 
and he is their most valuable asset in the backfield at the moment, uh, by far. Yeah. Uh, because it's not even close. He's cheap, and he might be the most talented guy left back there. Um, you know, he's he's not. You know, the he's certainly obviously not the most experienced. Uh, he's not going to bring to the table what Frank Gore will between the tackles. He's probably not the receiver that LaShawn McCoy is, but as a runner, is he your most dangerous runner right now? Maybe. We'll see. And in a couple of weeks, I'll probably have a better answer. But like you said, I'm not going to be surprised if by the end of training camp, he looks like the most dangerous runner in the backfield. LaShawn McCoy is 31 years old. He's not young anymore. He's not, you know, and last year he didn't look very dangerous. There weren't that many runs where you thought he was going to break one. You know, and, and the Jets game was it. And the ones where he broke them, he wasn't breaking them the way he used to, mm-hmm. where, you know, they were turning into fifty yard runs. So until he proves otherwise, uh, you know, the threat is there for Singletary to take a bigger role and and be a big part of this backfield while he's his youngest, freshest, and cheapest. It's very much setting up to be at least to start the season like a typical Patriots backfield where you have three different guys. um, They offer something different from one another. And I would not be surprised if from one game to the next, they highlight one of them or, or, you know, maybe one's a Devin Singletary game. One's a, one's a Frank Gore game just based on opponent. And I think that's the way Brian Dable kind of likes it. And he, he didn't have that flexibility last year. He didn't have any flexibility last year, if we're being frank. I mean, the offensive line stunk. His wide receivers didn't start to get it going until the end of the year. Um, His quarterback situation was abysmal at the start of the year. And then once Josh Allen came back from injury, that's when he started to show off his little creativity. Um, He didn't have a tight end to speak of in 2018. So this is the year where... I think Brian Dable starts to get judged and and where we start to see his imprint on what they're trying to do uh, be enforced a bit more. And I, for one, am am enthralled to see what he's got up his sleeve. I know for a fact he's a a creative guy, and he's not afraid to call weird things that, that you haven't seen before. But he also has to learn the balance about when it's going too far, just feel, feeling the room, really, uh, feeling the game. And uh, if he if he does that, then it, he could ha- he could get some of these young guys to come along just fine. Yeah, I think he last year showed that he could adapt to what was working, which I think is a nice quality to have as an offensive coordinator, um, as opposed to being you know a bit stubborn the way that Rick Dennison was, uh, just doing what he does and not really caring about what worked for the talent he had, and. You know, you saw a lot of empty sets that made life easier on Josh Allen. You saw, you know, different things to to accentuate his strengths and, and the strengths of the offense, which were, as you mentioned, few and far between. But mm-hmm. now that he's got more he's got more talent, obviously, across the board, but he also has more more options, more guys that are, you know, that have specialties. Uh, that can hurt a defense in a certain way. And, you know, if you need four yards uh, on third down, he can hand it to Frank Gore up the middle. Mm -hmm. He can 
put LaShawn McCoy on the field and, and, you know, give him the ball as a receiver. He, he could put both on the field. He could put both on the field. <laughs> he could get the ball to Cole Beasley. What if he goes? He could th- dial up a deep shot to John Brown or what, Robert Foster. I what mean, if he goes three running back full house with Singletary, Gore, and McCoy? I wouldn't put it past him. Right. None so of this stuff. your options are a little bit different than last year where it felt like it was drop back and pass and hope Josh can do it with his legs Mm -hmm. now there's a lot more in place where you can structure the offense a lot differently and that will be his challenge and that will be why he very much uh will be judged uh this season and he's probably in a way on a hotter seat than anybody in the building because you know, I think we we agree that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are pretty safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Josh Allen is in danger of losing his starting job, although it is funny to think about how quickly J.P. Lozman and, and E.J. Manuel lost their jobs uh, in year two. Uh, I don't think that will be what will happen to, to Josh Allen, who's a higher pick and the, the organization has a ton invested in. It would be an admission of a failure mm-hmm. um, by the entire regime if they – were to bench their starting quarterback, their franchise guy. So he's probably pretty safe. Brian Dable is the one under more pressure than than anybody because he now has all these pieces. It's not easy to make it work. Uh, I think a lot of people assume, oh, they've got all this talent. The offense is going to take a huge step forward. It's not easy to make it work, but it's going to be the expectation. And that's where uh, you know the, the pressure comes in for Dable, and, and we'll see what he's made of. Uh, as a coordinator, it's not the easiest task. It's not exactly a cushy, uh, you know, deal that he has a cushy setup, but it might be one of the best he's dealt with. Oh yeah. Uh, and so, you know, a lot, a lot is made about his results over the years where his offenses have ranked. It's not great, but he's also had nothing to work with. And this is slightly better. I'm more interested in his mind than anything. And, and he's proven that his mind is probably better than his results have indicated, especially yeah. when you look at um, the long list of quarterbacks he's had to use. So, I don't know. This will be an interesting summer for, for Dable to try to get yeah. all these guys up to speed before the start of the season. And just talking with him over the past year or so, you can tell he's learned a ton and learned a ton from his mistakes. And he's not one that really is keen on making same mistakes over and over again just because something worked um in previous years uh he's he's very adaptable in that way so we'll we'll see if it works for him all right so training camp starts tomorrow uh the bills are already in st john at st john fisher college in pittsford uh and this whole thing is getting going summer's over for us but it feels yeah. good. It feels good to have football back. I think I'm it ready. Does. I'm I'm pretty excited for camp. I'm more excited for the start of the season than camp, as I mentioned. You know, I feel mm. like you learn a lot more when things count. But I'm also excited for for camp because there's a lot more up in the air. A lot more. They're juggling a lot more this summer than they have the last two summers, and they've also got those always intriguing joint practices that that throw a nice little oh yeah curveball into into the situation and and it's it's not a long time up at at St. John Fisher but it is always it's nice to get up there a little bit that's when it really starts to feel feel like football season and not to mention the excitement of the new age outlaws that's right coming to St. John Fisher College 
we're there. The new world order. You going NWO is, on me now? You going WCW in. on me? We'll we'll have all three of us up there. Oh yeah, uh, with with Tim, and we're gonna have five of us I'm, at joint practices, but with Joe Person and Jordan Rodriguez. Yeah, they, who they've is, got uh, a great also a free agent addition. I feel like this is you know this is probably the biggest free agent addition since the Warriors signed Willie Cauley Stein. <laughs> I think most people would agree with that. I mean, it's not quite on that level, but it's me? close. Yeah. <laughs> Backstory: yeah. Fairburn and I uh, co-owned a dynasty fantasy team the past couple of years, and Willie Cauley Stein was a staple on our roster. He continues to be a staple. Joe has defected to start his own team. I'm an expander. What can I say? Willie Cauley Stein is now more valuable than he's ever been. <laughs> now that he'll be joining. Which is, you know, kind of like Joe, more valuable than he's ever been now that he's <laughs> surrounded by the likes of, of Tim Graham and myself, the Warriors, if you will. Uh, what What's interesting for the NWO parallel, their colors, black and white. Before they went the, the right. NWO versus the NWO black and red, NWO black and white, athletic, black and white. Not saying, just saying. If we're the Warriors and you're Willie Colley Stein, I guess... I've I'd give you a myself, Sean Livingston. I always thought of myself as an Andrew Bogut. Maybe Tim's the Andrew Bogut, and <laughs> and I'm the Sean Livingston. Think, Boy, we really could use a, a Steph Curry. Though. Yeah, yeah. Maybe even a Draymond. <laughs> Who knows? Clay Thompson. We need a sweet shooting sure. Clay. All right. So uh, the next time we will speak with you will be uh, let's let's mark it for eh, after the pads go on. Um, I think the day after the pads go on. So that'll be, let's see, it starts Thursday. So that'll be Saturday. So you'll have it uh, for you when you jump in the car for your Monday commute because the Bills have that off day as well. Um, And then, uh, then, yeah, we'll be hitting these podcasts pretty hard. We're we're in busy season now. So uh, the lulls of the off season where people are like, hey, when's the next pod coming? You're not going to have to ask that anymore. We're in season now. So for Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, and for myself, soon to be of The Athletic. Uh, Thank you all for listening to this rendition of The Bills Beat, and we will talk to you next time from St. John Fisher College. See you then.